What's up, everybody? You're listening to Games, Tech, and Things, the gaming podcast that seeks to inform you about the ways video games have affected technology throughout the ages, from the days of old and the SNES era, all the way to the modern era with computers and PC. Each week, we explore this topic with a co-host that brings their own insights into the topic right here at 3 p.m. on Fridays on Anchor. What's up, everybody? You're listening to Games, Tech, and Things, the gaming podcast that seeks to inform you about how video games can be used in different ways. With me today is Luke Mickham, a future mass communications major here at Piedmont University. I know you're currently in the process of looking into the into the major as a whole and getting transferred over. Is that correct? Yes. All right. It's a very fun major and everything, and I think you would end up thriving in it personally just because there's a lot you can do and, you know, you get the you get the sense that you need to be a person people in this industry. However, that's not the case at all. There's different roles for everybody in this industry and I just want to, you know, make sure you know about that and make sure that you can be pretty much anything you want to in this industry, especially how things have evolved thus far with technology. So, you know, it's a great ma- it's a great major, but you know, we're not here to talk about masscom, right? We're here to talk about video games, something that me and you both have plenty of hours doing. All right, I'm pretty sure we both have easily a good 10 years under our belts, I want to say. That sounds about right. All right. So looking at video games as a whole, there's been leaps and bounds in technology that have driven basically the industry as a whole towards towards a certain point where eventually video games start started to outpace the industry as a whole because gamers wanted more, better, newer technology in order to play video games and enhance them to the point where they can, you know, do whatever they want in them. And so one of the games that has seen some improvements since the times of the SNES, however, has kept to its guns in a sense, is the RPG. Have you played a lot of the RPG games that have been out? So like Final Fantasy or like Dragon Quest or even some of the newer ones like God Eater or Monster Hunter? Well, I haven't done games like Fire Emblem, Dragon's Quest. I have played the games that you have mentioned, such as God Eater or Monster Hunter. Personally, I I would say that you would probably have more hours between the two of us. But I would say that I am more of a plot-wise based person, which is why that I which is why I have chosen to play a wide variety of RPGs. Yeah, I definitely like story games actually as well. I fully enjoy them to their very, very down to the very last percentage just because they're always so fun, especially RPGs like games like Final Fantasy where you have to go go on a just a continent spanning adventure and everything. I actively seek out each and every piece of equipment, every entry into the bestiary or just any magic item in general. It's definitely a very fun prospect, and, you know, I want to know, if th- is that something that you end up doing with your RPG games, or do you end up just going for the bare minimum trying to get through the story as a whole? Well, first I try to just get through the story with what I like and see if that can complete the story, but if I can't complete the story with what I like, then I do go with more better equipped characters to finish the story, and then I try to go the completionist route, such as the route that you have chosen. Oh, yeah. It's definitely sometimes better to complete the story prior, especially since there are special dungeons that are only unlocked after the game becomes beaten, you know? 
it's like with Monster Hunter Rise. We've both been playing Monster Hunter Rise for a good while now. I think I've put in like 200-something hours into the game. I don't know how many you have in currently, but as I recall, the last time I checked, it was like, what, 30, 40? That sounds about right. And one thing that is constant up across most RPG-type games is the level of grind that actually goes into these types of games because they want to keep you enthralled. They want to keep you going through the content, collecting every single bit, and getting your money's worth, basically. And so with that being said, there's a certain mindset that comes about with a person that is doing that type of thing. And going the completionist route, it's it's certainly something that it makes you feel giddy. It makes you feel like you've achieved something very special and very hard to do. However, in the end, you don't actually get any real world value out of it. You just get entertainment. So what are your thoughts on how a person might go about or let me rephrase that. What are your thoughts on how a person's mindset might change by wanting to go after that completionist mentality? Well, I can't speak for everyone when I say this, but if I was going for the completionist route on, let's say, I don't know, Monster Hunter, uh, I mean, first I would go for what looks probably the most fashionable, and then I would go for the stuff that I probably wouldn't like as much. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely know that feeling, and I'm actually currently building every single piece of armor in high rank. I almost have everything in low rank as well. Um, Jiro and Thomas, since they've been playing with us, they've actually most recently just been hearing the clanging with the hammer sound as you buy each individual piece, and I've gotten it down to almost a science where I'm just going clang, 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 and they're just like, what are you doing over there? And it's just me buying all the armors. So you have yet to hear that sound, but you will one of the next times we play. Don't worry. So with the mentality of going for 100% completion or just grinding out materials in general, these are the types of games that almost borderline require it as a result of the gameplay and how things can just start looping back on itself. You progress through the game, you start to get progressively better, but your gear gets progressively worse. So you need to grind out better gear in order to beat the next upcoming hurdle. And with that being said, beating that hurdle gets just progressively harder. So with that, I guess, power creep that comes into video games and that initial hump of getting past the diff- you know, the difficulty spikes and everything, how do you feel that this could be better approached if you, if you don't want to go and grind out a lot? Well, I doubt many people would agree with this, but if they were to give out a higher chance for the drops, for certain drops, that would make the better equipment and weaponry, then that would most definitely help with the power creep aspect. But skill does have to come into play at some point. Yes, there is the booze of all the people that disagree with you. However, I do believe that that is something that can end up helping a player. There was a system put in place in Monster Hunter World. I don't know if you played that one any. But Monster Hunter World, when the Iceborne DLC came out, they introduced this Guardian set armor, which was basically armor designed, and weapons actually, designed to get you to the DLC faster. So it would allow you to blaze through the base game and get to the DLC faster because they wanted individuals to increase their power level. They wanted people to go in, get better at the game real fast so they could experience everything that was new. And I think that's a... I think that's a good way of introducing it because it wasn't shoved upon players. It was just an additional tree that was there that they could choose to ignore if they wanted to. And I think that's a great idea because it certainly increases the amount of power creep that comes into the game. But when you're already adding that level of power creep due to Iceborne bringing in 
you know, better gear and better loot and everything, it balances it out in a way that I think people will find it more enjoyable. You said you enjoy the story-based games and everything. Are you a fan of mobile games, perchance? Certain ones, yes. All right. So the main draw of mobile games is to have games on the go, right? And to be able to just play them wherever? That is correct. Where, in some mobile games, where does the story come in? Because most mobile games have most just the single purpose of trying to squeeze your wallet, trying to get the most money out of you as they can. But then there are some people, myself included, who prefer to play the games without spending any money, without dropping a single cent, because it's just a mobile game. I mean, yeah, it was free, but why aren't we just going to grind it out? Because I'm of the mentality already in most video games that, okay, there's some things I'm going to have to grind out, so why am I not just going to grind it out and wait instead of doing what they want, which is for us to pay the dollar or the three dollars to get whatever gear that people might want. And so I just wanted to ask your thoughts on that. Yes, there will always be the free to play players and then there will always be a at least a handful of as people would call them whales, since they end up spending hundreds of dollars down the drain for mobile games. But some of them can be really bad games because you would have to pay to get the right uh, members or equipment or characters, I'm not sure if I said that already, to actually progress in the story. And that's what would make a mobile game pretty bad. Because, I mean, if you want to be free to play, then that's going to be a pretty big hurdle that you're going to have to overcome. And that's fair and all, but there are certain people that overcome that hurdle, myself included. I like to play certain games that are just like, oh, you have to buy the first initial pack or else you can't get through anything. Okay, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to grind out as much as I can and get through it. All right. It basically becomes the same mentality that I usually have when I'm playing Dark Souls, all right? You're always on the back foot in Dark Souls already, so what you need to do is you just need to grind it out until you can get at least some ground between you and the boss, especially when you're going through a Soul Level 1 playthrough, which is not, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart, people. Don't do it. With that mentality in mind, there then comes into play loot boxes, which is definitely something that plays into the psychological aspect of RPGs. Loot boxes have been, I guess, if I remember correctly, they were originally introduced in mobile games as, you know, little free, sometimes free rewards that you could also buy in order to get certain cosmetics or power creep items that would allow you to scale up your characters and make them overall better. So with that being said, how do you feel that loot boxes could be a danger to people because there are certain people who have psychological problems that could end up you know seeing this and akin it to gambling which is something that is actually going a lawsuit that is actually going on currently I don't know if you know about that but how do you feel that a person could you know go about being better with that regard well there's no easy way to say this but I mean it's just a different coloration or a different outfit and I mean some of them may look really nice but why would you spend your money on something that isn't even physically real. Mm -hmm. It's just a bunch of ones and zeros. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. And that's the mentality that a lot of people have. But as you mentioned earlier, there are certain players that are the whales. They'll go in and drop hundreds without even thinking about it. And that's because of a deep psychological problem that they have. It comes from a want to have almost instant gratification, even if it requires, you know, spending you know, upwards of $1,000, $2,000 just to get certain items. There are people out there that do it, and they definitely need help in that regard. With mobile games and everything and how they had loot boxes, eventually it came full circle to video games as a whole, correct? 
Yes. So video games as a whole eventually adopted that mentality. However, it was then that players started to fight back because prior mobile games mostly catered to a more casual audience who just wanted to play on their phone, have some fun every so often without having to boot up a heavy-duty console or anything like that because there hasn't been a good handheld prior to the Switch, mind you, back when back when we were, you know, getting started with iPhones and all that stuff, right? Right. So prior to the Switch, there wasn't a handheld console that had enough games that people would enjoy on it. The casual audience was stuck playing games on their smartphones, which required them to maybe shell out a dollar or two here and there in order to progress to levels that they wanted to. Eventually, when this jumped over to main title games, like we had Star Wars Battlefront 2, which had heavy monetization, like... It was to the point where players said it was basically just unplayable because people who could spend upwards of a thousand, two thousand dollars could just go in, they could pay their money, get the cards that they needed in order to succeed without any issues. So what's your stance on loot boxes in mainline games like that, on main consoles and everything as it invades through the casual player, more towards the hardcore player or the player who just plays on consoles? Okay, so I'll try to cover each one. Remind me for each one. So first off, let's go with the casual. So for casuals, the loot boxes would seem... How should I put this? They might seem a bit enticing and might seem a bit... Well, there's two sides to the casual coin, I guess. There's the ones that don't want to become a whale and end up spending it. And then there are the ones that end up falling to their... I don't want to call it greed... But that's probably the best word I can think of for it right now. And end up becoming whales. And then there's the... There's the normal audience on, you know, consoles and everything. Okay. So the console gamers, if I'm correct. Now, those people will have a... For the most part, they'll probably have a much stronger willpower as to not use the loot boxes. There will always be that handful that will fall victim to that. But the truth of the matter is that for console, it's more or less just going to be a different coloration of a character. That definitely is a change that a lot of people are starting to see, and that's why loot boxes have been fought back aggressively thus far. But we will talk about that right after this short message from Connor Jelly about his radio show for his capstone project. Hey, do you like talking about body health? Do you like talking about stuff that, you know, helps lift up the rest of the world and will help you improve your health. Well, tune in every Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. right here on Z98.7 FM, the student radio station at Piedmont University, to listen to Jelly Time, hosted by Connor Jelly. back and i believe we were going to discuss how video games have been or not video games but people who play video games have been fighting back against these corporations especially over in 
European countries. Have you seen anything about the lawsuits that are currently occurring? I I have not. This would be the first that I'm hearing of it, but I wholeheartedly do agree with it. All right. I believe it is, there's a board in the European, European Union, as I recall. It might just be Britain. I could be wrong. They are currently and have been talking about the need to change how the classification of gambling affects video games as a whole. A lot of video games implement various different tactics seen in RPGs in order to entice players to want to spend more in order to gain what it is they want out of a game, mobile or otherwise. Now, these types of tactics have been in place long since the NES came off the shelves and everything, and it's peppy music, it's high-octane, maybe some flashing, and then some instant gratification messages like congratulations or you got with exclamation point and everything as a way to entice the player, make them feel really good about themselves. It's a similar tactic used in casinos and gambling in order to make people feel like they're doing great, even though they're sinking God knows how much into a thing and promise for small monetary rewards. So the way that this board is currently viewing loot boxes and video games is just a glorified slot machine. Can you see the comparisons there? Yes. For the majority, there's more of a loss than there is for a gain, I would say. Right. But that's the comparison they're having to make because loot boxes are basically just becoming glorified slot machines. And even in some loot box games, they're actual, they're just actually presented as slot machines. I think it was either FIFA or 2K. I'm pretty sure it's the basketball game where it just generally just looked like a slot machine. And that's ba- that's basically the basis for this argument that loot boxes are being outlawed as a whole by players, by countries, and even some corporations are fighting back against it. There's CD Projekt Red. They made The Witcher, Cyberpunk 2077, and a couple other games, right? They have made very active stances on loot boxes as a whole, and they feel that they have no place in video games and have been actively trying to change this for the better. Prior, they've been against DRM, which is software that is is basically anti-piracy software because it slows down games. The reason they've been against it mostly is because prior, their studio worked on breaking DRMs and selling the games. I don't know if you know that or not, but that's just a little bit of CD Projekt Red Lord that I thought was interesting. What they used to do is they would take games that wouldn't see a release in their country and give it an unofficial release. Eventually, they grew, they gained such renown doing this that they decided to try their hand at releasing their own games, and the rest is just kind of history. But, you know, going back to the main point, loot boxes are starting to become outlawed, and I wanted to know what your stance is on that, because... It is a monetary tactic that companies can use in order to bolster their sales long after a game's come out, which could be good for the industry, but it's also bad for players who have psychological issues where they seek out instant gratification, like with gambling. Well, I do feel bad for the people with the psychological condition, the instant gratification. They they won't like what I'm about to say, because I do agree that they should outlaw the loot boxes. But the thing about it is you need to receive something after you've actually accomplished something as a like a reward. 
not as something you would just go to a grocery store and just buy. Right, and I see that. And so one of the ways that they're able to fight back so hard, the governments and everything and their agencies, is because they're getting it to gambling. And the argument could be made that there's no monetary gain off of it. However, there have been there have been various different companies that have been seeking to profit off of these types of loot boxes and everything. And I think that's decently scummy. That does indeed sound quite scummy. All right, we're coming up on the end of our episode. I want to thank you for coming out today, Luke. I know it's been a very long week for the re- for a lot of us around here. I don't know how your week's been, but... Yeah, it, it has been quite a long week. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. All right, make sure you tune in again either right after this episode, if this is your first episode you're listening to this week, or tune in again next week at Friday, or tune in again Friday at 3 p.m. right here on Anchor or Spotify.